Welcome to the 20 Podcast. After the gig stories and before the gig music prep with everything in between, I'm your host, DJ Spider. That's right, we got the extra dramatic intro. We got a special guest on the show today. Special shout to all my Beat Source listeners, the 20 Podcast. Thank you guys for listening, tuning in every week, sending us your questions and comments. It's been amazing. Don't forget to rate and review on Apple and Spotify and all that stuff for us. Get us higher in the rankings. Spread the word right here. And big thank you to BeatSource, the whole team over there. BeatSource is the new digital music service for open format DJs, but it goes way beyond a digital DJ pool. They are rolling out Link pretty soon. You're going to be able to stream these tracks, really going to change the game. So go check out BeatSource.com if you have not already. They've got amazing curated playlists with like for every genre, big room, small room, Afro beats, dance music, hip hop, all that keeps expanding. And now our guests are doing playlists. So you can check out the guests top 30 tracks and they're going to be updating them and stuff. Um, so today on the show, we have got someone who has been a driving force in the dance music scene for over 10 years. He's not afraid to share his secrets with you though, because he regularly helps out all of the producers on the planet earth with his mp quick tip series online we've got so much to talk about with him and to learn about please welcome grammy nominated producer and dj morgan page give it up let's Let's see if the crowd's in here oh wow okay (laughs) yo thanks for coming on man appreciate it yeah glad to be here yeah, so um, we have a bunch of stuff to talk to you about. We want to learn about your production, about your DJing, and all that. And um, first, as we do on the 20 podcast, we go over songs from the 20 playlist on BeatSource. So will you help us out, go through some of these tracks? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. Let's get into it right now. This is the 20 with DJ Spider, presented by BeatSource. Okay, thank you, BeatSource curators, for putting this together. Let us see what we got going. So much new music has come out since the last one. There was like, basically every song is good on here, but let's start off with Duck Sauce, A-Track, and Armin Van Helden, Get to Step In. Bring in that funk. All right, let's check it out. Super funky. Got Love those it. horns in there. Legendary. Legend. Armand Van Helden. I mean, come I on. mean, exactly. He loves those long buildups with like that, those high pitch kind of sounds. I feel like just forever he's been using that. Super dope. I was so happy when I heard that Duck Sauce was like coming back and putting music out. Were they on hiatus for a little while? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, probably their first track was over 10 years ago. Barbara Streisand, I think. It's or crazy. Uh, or no, the one right before that. But yeah. Like, it's been a minute, and then I saw they got announced they're going to play at um, Coachella. Nice. So I think they're they're coming back. Is this kind of in, in your wheelhouse? Would you play this, or you're more like 
deep kind of. I still have to play with so much energy live. Right. But on the radio show, I can fit in whatever I want for, right. for Sirius XM. So. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty. We want to get into that, that you have this radio show that's been running for a really long time, and you get to feature so much amazing new music and stuff you like, I'm sure. So we'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, yeah Duck Sauce, A-Track, Armin Van Helden, Get to Steppin'. Some kind of funk sample. Almost sounds like a- old Afrobeat 70s yeah. or something. That little octave switch. It's very Armand's yeah. back in the day. Yeah, totally. Speed Garage. Yeah. A little of that Speed Garage vibe. <laughs> For without, sure. Without the time stretching. Yeah, I know. It almost sounds like it just looped it up and then that's dope. All right. I'm happy that's out. I'm definitely going to drop that when I can. Um, let's get into another track. There's a more poppy kind of track. Got that little roads in there. That's SZA right there with Justin Timberlake. The song is called The Other Side. Great track. Yeah, great track. You know what Instantly. it sounds like? Yeah. It sounds like that Estelle American Boy, like that syncopation. Oh, a little bit slowed down version. It sounds like that, and it sounds like the um, Calvin Harris remix of um, SZA's song, I think, mm. uh, The Weeknd or something. It's like this triplet R&B thing. Yeah. It's like, um, it's got that same, like, this is the Calvin Harris Definitely got a little influence on there, but I mean, I guess it's SZA on both songs, but it's got that funky. Yeah. I guess Justin Timberlake is credited as a producer and same with um, Ludwig Gorenson, the guy that did Childish Gambino, uh, Redbone, and This Is America, and like he produced, you know, for Black Panther and Mandalorian and all that stuff. I like that they're not trying to squeeze a ton of elements in there. It's just totally bass groove. Yeah, it's just like straight snare. that funk. I think it's from the new Trolls movie, actually. <laughs> that always that always cheapens it for me when it's I like know. it's like this amazing track that's and it's on the Trolls soundtrack. It's so funny because I was listening, I'm like, this is dope, and then I was like, oh, it's from the Trolls movie. But then why does that cheapen right. it? I don't know. It's right. still a good song. I mean, there's some good people in that movie. They have Anderson Pack and a bunch really? of people. Um, honestly, I'll see it with my kid. <laughs> I'm happy to see like a music movie with my kid. Um, all right, so that's Justin Timberlake, The Other Side. Justin Timberlake and SZA, dope track. Let's see what else we got in here in the 20 playlist. Um, bingo players have a track called Chop. This is the Umlaud refix. It's not a remix. It's a refix. Mm. I like that drum pattern. Oh, shit. Did 
sounds dope. It's great production. Those guys are killing it. Umad. Yeah. Their, their engineering, their production technique is just so fat. Yeah, it's dope. And it's like you said, uh, referring to the other one, like super minimal. There's not too much stuff in there, but it's like just enough. Like it'll get people dancing. It sounds amazing. There's like almost nothing in there, but it still fills up everything. Yeah. And like, what is that? It's like a vocal chop that sounds like a tribal drum almost. Yeah, yeah they're yeah. able to do like this. It, it's it's deep and swingy in some ways, but also has like big room sonics to it. Yeah, just kind of a trend I'm seeing. Like, uh, I think yeah, even some of the stuff Alok does. It's Brazilian bass. Yes, different style, but it's just so fat sounding. Totally. Yeah, that's great. All right, that's the umlaut refix of chop. Bingo players, go check that. It's on the twenty. Yeah, that's dope. I just like how it's like funky. It's not just straight ahead, four on the floor. Yeah. Yeah, that's dope. All right, let's, Dutch too. Yeah, right. But but it's and it's a little bit slower, like to make it that funky. Yeah. Give it that swing. Dope. All right, let's get into another one. Sac Noel, Tokame. I feel like I'm on the beach in Mykonos. Not mad at that. Some like Latin house kind of vibe. Minimal Latin. Yes, yeah, super minimal. Latino minimal. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's part of like a new kind of style, like out of Colombia. Someone was mm. saying um, the music director Kid Spin was giving me some info on it. Like, there's a song called um, "Baila Conmigo" that's kind of like um, that style. You know, like um, here I'll play it right here. Let's see. I thought that's part of the track. I know. It's like <laughs> the phone rings in there. There is songs with that. <laughs> this one has way more elements, but I guess it falls within that style of like Guaracha. Guaracha. Thank you, Vlats. We got to give Vlats a mic so he can help us out. But just so you guys know, Vlats is filming us, but he helps with, you know, he knows everything about the Latin music. So we're bringing him in. How do you say the other one? Aleteo? Aleteo? And what is it? Okay. Guaracha. All right, Guaracha is like this kind of vibe. And I guess the other track falls in there too. So good to know. Yeah. We're learning things here on the 20. <laughs> I like when it has that balance where you have an ethnic influence on it, but it doesn't take over the track. It still totally. stays contemporary. Yeah. So I think you can lose some people if it's too world. Right, or if or, you try to exactly just incorporate an element of it the way they just did the guitar, but they kept all the other stuff, and people are going to still dance to it. And you could probably mix it with any genre, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Oh, all right, let's uh, another 
pop song, but that's leaning towards dance. Um, out of nowhere, Lady Gaga came out with a song called Stupid Love. And it turns out it's produced by Blood Pop and Chami, which uh, you'll hear here. Not mad at those chops. Almost sounds like like 10 years ago, like Robin LaRue kind of sound. Dope. I like like the driving bass line and just that like yeah it's like I said it sounds like 10 12 years ago kind of chops you know but I like it and those nice little glitches in there with the local little vocal edits yeah what's the story with blood pop have you he's, his name's like everywhere but he's kind of mysterious he's like a celebrity behind the scenes producer uh, like, right I, I don't know yeah did a bunch of the Grimes record I mean he's done so much Justin Bieber, Bieber. I, I first heard of him on that I think Justin Bieber sorry didn't he do yeah. that yeah. and I remember seeing his name on there and um, I don't know I feel like I could be completely wrong blood pop let us know but that it was someone that was like a producer themselves out doing music and then sort of switch to being a more behind the scenes pop, pop producer. Writer, yeah. uh, I'm not sure though. Maybe someone can write in and tell us, but yeah, I don't know. I see his name. I think it's a, he I see his name yeah. on everything. He's from like Kansas city. Or something. Really? Yeah. Crazy. Well, he's super talented. Yeah. I mean, cause the stuff he makes seems like it's every, it can be any genre. It's just, but it's usually high quality, good, you know, sonically and funky musically. So as you can kind of shape shift. Yeah. The scenes. You don't have to stick to your one brand. Sound. Right. And it seems like collaboration is the name of the game now in a way where it was like, who produced that one person? And now it's like a lot of times two, three, four, cause it's like blood pop and to, you know, to uh, blood pop and Chami. So, you know, who knows how that came about, you know, but I was surprised with that. I wouldn't have thought me Chami. too. I mean, I just learned it last night when I was going through, and I was like, wow, that's crazy. I didn't know that. It seems like Chami's doing some more pop stuff, like uh, the track he did with Hana. Yeah. Uh, it's really good. I mean, yeah. really interesting stuff where he's not just sticking to that. I know. The sound of his, his own label, even. I think he's so talented that he probably decided he wanted to make that one kind of music, and then he could do anything. You know, and his music is so sort of niche-based, but it can somehow transfer into the quote unquote, open format, um, mm. DJ world. You know what I mean? Like we can play it at mainstream clubs and it'll still keep it going and it won't be too underground or like, Oh, did I just go into like a weird, you know, house yeah. club? Um, so yeah, I think he has that talent. Right. So. Doing the DJ snake direction, maybe. Well, so, I think they're, crew. I was going to say they're all part of the same crew. A lot of those guys, right. Mercer, um, yeah. Mala, so many amazing people. They're all great. Yeah. Um, Dope. All right. So that was Lady Gaga, Stupid Love. Um, should we go through a couple more? Yeah, let's do let's it. See. Um, let's do this 
Ibranovsky. Ibranovsky. Me at. Me I. I love anything with raga vocals on it. <laughs> yeah, super minimal too. Yeah. It's almost like the percussion is the lead on it, on that drive, right. in a way. Yeah, you're right. The congas. Yeah, it's like bass house, but with tribal drums that take the lead in a way. Yeah, this guy's interesting. I looked him up last night on... Um, on the streaming services and on BeatSource to see what his other stuff sounded like. And it seems like he made big room EDM, like the more standard type, you know, years ago. And then now this is his new style. Mm. I think he was calling it like ghetto house or ghetto something. But a lot of his new stuff sounded like this. But it sounds dope to me. Ibranovsky, me, I. All right, let's see. Let's get into one more different kind of genre. This girl, Ms. Nina from Colombia. The song is, how do you say it? Oh, she's from Chile. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said Colombia. I was reading the wrong thing. She's from Chile. The song is called La Caprichosa. La Caprichosa. She's from, uh, oh yeah, Chile. All right, some reggaeton. She's from, where's she from? Arge- she's, she's from Argentina. Okay, Argentina. We're getting it down. Ms. Nina. Um, and yeah, it's like, uh, it's got the bam bam rhythm, you know, the like classic dance hall sample that everyone uses. But uh, someone was saying she's kind of like reggaeton's digital underground. I mean, I can't understand the lyrics exactly, so I'm not sure. I looked it up. I Google translated it, and she's talking about she needs like, some dude. It seems like almost like city girls, like twerk music mm-hmm. or something mixed with reggaeton in a way. Have you seen this stuff like getting popular in Europe? You've heard about this? Like even in, in Spain? I mean, yeah. You no, know, Latin culture. But it's, it's funny. Someone was saying that that's instead of it just being like house music and underground stuff in Spain, that reggaeton's taken over. That's crazy. That's, I don't know if it's a trend or anecdotal. I don't know. I mean, there's something about those rhythms that are just universal too. That was like, you know. Because, I mean, even here, like, it wasn't that common to be playing songs that aren't in English, I don't think. You know, like, on the radio or in the clubs, and now it's totally standard. Streaming changed everything. Yeah. Access. 
streaming really changed everything. Like I went, you know, I was going, I was down by Staples Center and there's like the biggest line ever across the street at the Microsoft Theater. And I'm like, who's over there? And it's some group called like the Stray Kids or something. And I'm like, who are they? I look them up. They're from Korea. But there's a billion kids just standing around. They're singing their lyrics in the street. And K-pop or something? Yeah, it's K-pop. But the fact that there's kids here that are singing Korean lyrics to things, you know, like that's just crazy that it's all that connected, you know. And then we're getting African music and stuff from all over. It just, it's all, it's never been that easily accessible, I think, you know. It's funny that English dominated songwriting for so long. Like why? Why did they have to dominate? Exactly. It makes no sense. It really isn't a good reason other than western influence but right it makes sense that there's a lot more room now everything i know everything's more about the niche yeah it's true and the k-pop is like they mix it all together they'll be speaking korean and then boom do an english phrase and then back in you know so um yeah it's it's crazy i love it i love the fact that it's all blending together even more um dope all right so that was ms nina and um, that was the 20. I mean, we could go through all the songs, but we'd be here all day. So, um. And that was the 20 with DJ Spider. All right. There was so much good stuff. Can't wait to hear what they come up with next week. Thank you guys at BeatSource. And um, as I mentioned before, today in the studio, we've got an amazing, talented guest. He's got a wealth of knowledge to share with you guys, and he's been sharing it online. Please give it up for Morgan Page. Yeah. What's happening? <laughs> What's happening? Yo, thanks for being here. We want to ask you about a million things. Um, you've been doing this, you know, for over 10 years, like we said. Uh, you were nominated for a Grammy before, right? For one of your right. tracks. Um, what was the song? Fantasy? Or So I did a remix for Nadia Ali. Yeah. A fantasy. That's what it was. Which kind of was a surprise, you know. Yeah. Like a, like a sleeper remix. That's so that cool. I loved, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing, though. I mean, what... Uh, what did that feel like, you know, when you found out you got a Grammy nomination for a remix? Somebody found out before. I thought they were joking. I think Dave Day called me and said, you know, he actually won a Grammy. He I was going to say, he's like seasoned in that, right? Yeah. I mean, he's been nominated for a few I feel, uh, in the remix category. Well, the crazy part is the label never submitted it. So I submitted it on my own. And I literally burned a CD and wrote with a Sharpie on it. And sent no it way. In. So I sent in my remix reel. That's crazy. So I think it was a good lesson, like, Get your shit together, get organized, or you so. Know, how did you do that? I mean, how can you just submit it like that? You can send it. You have like you know, you have your manager or somebody submit it. Somebody yeah. has to be associated with the academy. But wow, um, most stuff is the label will prioritize somebody else over you if right. they even submit at all. Crazy. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, and I've seen it from both sides because Dead Mouse got not his first Grammy nomination for his remix of my song Longest Road. Yeah, and that was funny because. That's the remixer award. So we kind of count that, you know, know, technically it's the remixers award, but it's cool to be on both sides, to be the original artist and be the remixer. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I'm sure if you win or get nominated for a Grammy as a remixer, that could potentially lead to more remixes. Yeah. (laughs) Right. People are like, oh, wait, wait a second. I want him to remix my stuff. Yeah. You never know. I mean, I think maybe it may be like a silver bullet back in the day, but now it's now it's so interesting. Now it's more of a, a cumulative effect of like nomination here and uh, a song that does well on billboard here and a big streaming track. Like it's a lot of pieces coming together and building that story to sort, you mean to sort of get the attention of who's going to hire you for a yeah. remix or to work with someone instead yeah. of just being like, 
they got the Grammy nomination. Right. Like now it's like, okay, well, if people have that. What else do they have? Like you're saying, yeah. like, they, oh, they have a billboard. Where have they charted? And I that kind of thing. Maybe it used to be, I think you always had to have a good story. You know, of course, yeah. But it was, but you know, people think like, oh, you got on the cover of Billboard or Rolling Stone, like, cool, you're you're a success now. Yeah, like, no, it's like one tiny component of right. And I mean, who knows if even that is as influential as it used to be. Right, exact. I know, I know. I remember when press, oh, what's your press kit or go on your website. The press, it doesn't matter as much yeah. because music reviews, like, right? Like, have you been, have you read any record reviews? I mean, this is the modern form of music reviews. Like we talk. Well, about you're right. Yeah, because also music. Well, music, you had to buy it, first of all. So a music review is almost like <clears throat> if you're going to go eat at a restaurant, you look on Yelp because you're like, am I going to go waste my money on really expensive sushi? This better be good. What did other people say? In a way, that's what music reviews were. Like, I wasn't going to go buy this record. And then if someone I trusted wrote about it or someone that I know has the same taste in me writes about it, then I'll do it. But nowadays... All I have to do is pop my phone on and go to Apple, Spotify, BeatSource, you know, any of these sites and put it on. I don't need a music reviewer. I know yeah. what I think. So there's that is interesting. Before. Like you, don't, you don't want to get burned on spending your money and right. there's like two good singles on it on the album. Yeah. And now who cares? You just save it to your phone, delete it. It yeah. doesn't matter. It's so like no, no risk consumption. Right. <laughs> so yeah, music reviewers, we don't need you. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> now it's just no, but uh, it's not uh, as important. aggregators, whatever. Right. It's just uh, curators and gatekeepers now. Yeah, sense. and a lot of statistics and numbers, like how many playlists are you on, and and how many people are supporting you, and how many stream numbers. So yeah, that is that's interesting. I never really thought about it in that yeah, term. I haven't even thought about like reading a review of a record to write about a record seemed kind of crazy. Yeah, like to describe it and in you know full page right. review of something seems yeah. so bizarre. Just I know. Listen to it, you know. <laughs> I know, but I think it goes back to that. They were sort of helping you decide what to spend your money on yeah. or what to spend your time on in a way. But the weird thing, I remember buying stuff that got like whatever, five stars in Rolling Stone and then being so pissed like the record sucked. And it was, it was like a puff piece because they wanted to get their quote, their soundbite on it's the true. ads. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, the magazines had to make money selling ads. Yeah, that's true. Right. There's politics behind everything, everything. on earth. Every, <laughs> every media form right. can be gamed. Exactly. Even now. Yeah. I mean, anything you think is happening for one reason, there's probably two, three, four, five other reasons why it's happening or ul ulterior motives or something, yeah. you know. Um, and I guess playlist curators are in a way the new, not music reviewer, but the new way to help you figure out what to listen to or not to waste your time and not to keep talking about beat source, but like yeah. in a way that's okay. You want to get into Afrobeat music, but you don't know where to start. There you go. You go on that rather than going to a music reviewer. That's going to tell you their taste or yeah, something. A total stranger. Yeah. But I do like that you have options. You have algorithms. Yeah. Uh, you have, you know, manual playlisting. Right. Panels of editors, people picking music. At least you have some totally. different options. And even yeah. now, like, I think, what is it? Uh, Pandora has a podcast genome project. So they'll take all the words that you've said, literally take your transcript and recommend per episode, not just per show. So you'd, be like, you'd like this episode of this podcast, but you won't like these other ones. So it's taking the podcast and it's transcribing the audio and the words into its system. Yeah. And learning, wow, this podcast says the word DJ hip hop open format and then so does this podcast they should listen to this one yeah. that's nuts and that's crazy makes sense makes total probably sense. probably easier than music 
to categorize it. Way easier. You're right. Because with music, they're like, it's in this key and this speed, but yeah. that has nothing. You're going to love this track in That C could have nothing to do with it. And they've gotten pretty good at the, um, the uh, algorithms. I mean, I like my algorithms. Some of them, they show me things I never would have thought of, old and new, you know? It's pretty so. good. It's pretty yeah. good. It's scarily good. You know, it helps me with my DJ gigs sometimes. I'm like, okay, I got to do this. I don't know much about it. I, this is what I do know. Okay. Oh, you're sending me in this direction? Thank you so much. You know, yeah. that's crazy. Wow. That podcast thing, though, I had no idea. Yeah, I just learned about it. That's so smart, whoever thought of that. But yeah. And even I think uh, Sirius has a, a station that is populated by just what's trending on Pandora. Pandora is its own thing. It's, uh, it's interesting how that right. works. Well, that's but, why they bought it, I'm right. sure. Right, and they feed in, but the channel is amazing. It's like the top trending tracks on that yeah. station, and it's a, it's not an algorithm, and it's not a human. It's just a feed. Interesting. So it's I wonder how that works. But but Sirius will ask you on the app and stuff what you like, and you can customize your own stations, and you can tell it what to turn on and off in a way. So they're probably mm. taking all of that data somehow and feeding it in. Yeah. I don't know, because like when I'll go on hip-hop nation or whatever they'll then ask me oh what do you like and don't like and you can it's it's crazy yeah oh my god <laughs> that's amazing um and i know you're very into like tech and stuff like that too which i want to get deeper into um what um well i mean i guess we could talk about it now i wanted to discuss some of your music stuff before that like um th so like i said you've been making I don't know how you want to classify it, EDM music, dance music. Sure. You know, we we were saying earlier how open format is a very, you said a clinical term. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to pioneer the closed format DJ <laughs> format. That's so today we're having our first closed format closed DJ. Format. Uh, do not try to open up his it's format. It's splinter genres. <laughs> you know, just, yeah. just the micro, micro genre. Strictly, strictly the micro, tiniest, you know, niche you can get in there. It was like that for a little while. I remember. Yeah. Bef I remember before Dead Mouse and Avicii, before the more melodic stuff came into the front, yeah. it was dark and minimal, and it was right. like, do not cross pollinate with other genres. I know. You stick to your lane and don't fuck with anyone else. Yeah, it's true. It was like that way for five years, at least five years. Yeah, think, maybe ten years. There's some genres that I think still a little stick like elitist. that. You know, drum and bass and stuff mm. that are just like this is what we do. You know, we're not yeah. gonna change it up for anybody. People yeah. will incorporate their stuff into the other genres, but I feel like some of those genres don't let other people into it, right. you know? Um, so has your sound, uh, or, or how do you think the dance music sound and the EDM sound has evolved over the past 10 years? Um, and has your sound evolved with it in a way? Yeah. I mean, you have to evolve <clears throat> and keep changing your, your sound and your story, right. keep people interested. Yeah. I think the way I've seen it, I mean, obviously it got very pop with Chainsmokers and then it became very derivative. I mean, Chainsmokers, yes. Chainsmokers really pioneered that, um, that style. Uh, and then they kind of, I don't know, almost they changed and they changed their vibe now. It's a whole different thing, but they're more of a band, mm -hmm. you know, it's like yeah. a band that also DJs, uh, which is cool. They've created their own lane, their own space. Totally. But I think, yeah, it's interesting because you obviously had this the, the rise and then maybe not the fall, but the correction of big room. So EDM, that that same Hardwell style was really effective for a while. And then I think after a while, people get tired of the same thing and yeah. they want some variety. Uh, so, but I love that. I think there was a really cool direction. Like I loved where Avicii was heading with Folk House. And, yeah. And I'm, that's some of the stuff I'm working on right now is oh, incorporating great. a little more 
maybe some country influences in there, maybe other real instruments beyond just regular guitar. Yeah. So like, why not cross pollinate it with something else that's a throwback to the past? Totally. Because um, samples are always an issue. If you're using samples, it's a nightmare with legal issues. So I think it's, it's changing like that. It's also interesting with what's happening with Splice and people are, people are pitching me top lines from Splice. So I think it's an original vocal and it's a sample. So h- how does that work? You mean they literally haven't even flipped it or right. done anything? They're and just they like, want a cut of it. You're like, here, this would work well with this. And you're like, well, they're almost curating a sample library for you. <laughs> wow. And so what they're like, you, this is a great top line. You could do something great right. with this. Yeah. You, you go work your magic. <laughs> and how does that even work? Let's say you did it. You do the top line. You get the song. Are you then paying any type of royalty to the person that created that sample on Splice? Zero. Zero. But so that's obviously nice to not have, you know, have to absorb all these writers and divide up the writer's share. But the problem is we found out like, oh, this is a great sample. Someone else also thought that was a great sample. And there's three other tracks on Armada. We just had this happen with the same lead vocal. So it's almost a different version of a cover at that point. Or it's almost like it's a remix contest that no one organized. Yeah. Yes. That's a good way to put it too. And Justin Bieber's album just had a splice sample. And I, because what was the producer who did it was claiming it was his, but it was a splice sample or something. Well, no, no, I even found, well, it was deeper than that. It was, there was someone that said, yo, Justin Bieber stole stole my my swag or whatever. And, and he's like, look, but then he had gotten it off a splice sample. And the person that actually created and sound designed that sample then wrote out like, well, I made it. And then all these other people have used it. And I mean, that's so crazy. It's a new category. Someone's going to have to coin the term for that. Cause I think it'd be very easy to just criticize it. And yes, it's messy. Yeah. It's, but it's also really interesting. It's almost like open source culture. Yeah. I saw there's a producer named Illmind that um, he's in the hip hop world. Yeah, the blap kits. Yeah, yeah. exactly. He puts out those blap kits. He's always been very ahead of the curve and into the tech space. And I saw him sort of do a, a write up about that. Like, listen, we're entering into a new world. There's no rules, but let's make this easy for ourselves. If you're creating loops, you know, watch who you send it to label it, you know, make sure they know that you've sent it to someone else. And I guess it's just this new sort of production method that people are going to have to learn how to use. And like I was saying before, collaboration is the name of the game nowadays. That's how a lot of the biggest songs are getting made. So right. The little Nas X that that was a $30 beat. Right. You know, but it's funny. Some guys, it's not this way in EDM, but they're leasing beats. Hip hop, which I don't understand. I don't what are the either. terms of your lease for a beat? You know, is that like a, a bad car loan? You know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, yo, I'm getting refinanced. Yeah. <laughs> You're You're like, it. You get, yeah, it's like mileage. Like on when you lease a car, you only get 12,000 miles or 15,000 yeah. miles, depending how much you pay. You're like, you can have 15,000 plays. Once you yeah. hit that, you're paying me for every play. Oh, yeah. That's, that's actually a cool Maybe way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. Maybe. I mean, there's some. I don't know. There must be something where if you make a certain amount of money or get certain kind of deal, you pay them a certain amount, I guess. I don't know. Got to bring that beat back clean. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you put a scratch on the back bumper of my beat. I don't know yeah. if you can. You put a horrible singer over the beat. That's like putting a dent on that's, it. And that's the issue, right? Like, what if you don't like what somebody's done? I mean, I did a pack I for know. Splice and... I got promos sent to my radio show to my producers and, the, and I'm like, wow, that sounds really familiar. And I'm like, what is the deal with this? And I made all the loops that the guy used. That's crazy. And it was, sounded great. Thank God. But it was, it's so funny. Cause you, there's no creative sign off. I know. And 
Well, the weird thing to me, that the soulless part, I mean, I think there's a lot of pluses, but yeah. if, if you don't know who the vocalist is, you've never met them, it almost feels like AI or something. Like you're doing yeah. this collaboration with a robot. and you Right. Because I want to kind of get the vibe of the vocalist, and I'm known on my productions for recording them like over my shoulder in the studio, not using a vocal booth. Right. This is like the polar opposite of that. Complete. Where I have, I can't make any suggestions to them on their tone and like, you'll step off the mic a little bit and yeah. some breathing room. It's the other side. It's really interesting. It is. I mean, and it's almost like you could fight it all you want, but this is the way it's going. You know, the yeah. same way people are on Napster downloading the MP3s, either figure out a cool legal way to do that or you're going to die, you know? So same with this, figure out a way to make this work and be cool with it. Or otherwise you're just going to be pissed off. Like, Oh, people are using my stuff, you know, or yeah. like old man style. Yeah. Um, that's, that's crazy though. Wow. And I'm sure just every week there's a new situation that you never would have thought of. Cause I remember when it was frowned upon, right. It was like Steve Angelo used, Nas, 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 that right, sample. Yeah. And people were like, oh, my God, it was from uh, Pac, Zennheiser, or whatever it was, you know, and it was the scandal of all times. Who cares? Now that's what it all is, right? Yeah. I mean, I know. When I'm trying to make beats and I'm using splice stuff, I just feel weird just putting the straight-up sample. I have to make it different somehow, different. you know, or, I don't know, process it, chop it up, put it with other things you wouldn't expect or something. And, and it is weird that if you do a, a cover, you have to do a full, complete cover. Right. You can't take a verse or a vocal chop. So you could end up having to pay out more for one word than covering the whole song. I mean, you'd have to give writer share to the artist. But it, we just had that happen recently where I'm like, Really? I have to do, I can't just take part of the original of this like really well-known song and they'll just deny it. Oh, is it, so is that a thing? I didn't know that. So if you want to do a cover... They can't say no if you just cover the whole song. Yeah, verbatim. But if you, you take license. a piece of it, then they can say no because you're almost utilizing their thing to get a bigger yeah. song. But if you're like, hey, I'm covering Hey Jude or something, you know, yeah. okay, you can do it. We can't say no. and But then they're still going to take a piece of it no matter what. They'll take all the, all the writing share. Right. But, but it's better than getting sued. But isn't that a yeah. weird loophole? It's like it almost is backwards. So weird. Yeah. And, I mean, they can really – really sue you. I mean, I was listening to the, the white shadow episode. Like, you know, he's dealt with tons of lawsuits. Yeah. So if you're in that top 40 sphere. Totally. But well, even now I, I don't, I see you would think it would just be top tier stuff that would get lawsuits, but uh, all these estates will go after anything now. Oh yeah. Well, there was the Marvin Gaye, you know, uh, blurred lines. Just thing. Don't get influenced and by anything. I know that's crazy. I think that was, that was terrible. Don't ever listen to anything ever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, it's like in all the industries, I guess, when you're a writer, director, movie, someone that makes movies, TV shows, no one can send you scripts. You know, it has to go to your agency through the proper channels. Otherwise, they're like, well, look, I sent you the script. You obviously completely ripped it off. You know, it's just like yeah. anything. It has to be cleared. And then there will still be something. Even the Lizzo song, like, didn't like the DNA thing. It came from a tweet or something. <laughs> yeah. That's very futuristic it's made people more too. Cautious now, yeah, which is tough. Right, right, very cautious. You know, and I think, yeah, there was, there was more freedom before when it was less. Everyone had their phone in your face, like, oh, oh we're collabing, we're doing a thing. It was more freedom to just do things naturally, try to make songs, see how it feels, I guess, and not feel so much pressure. Yeah, you know, that's um, yeah, that's so interesting. And so when you. Um, when you perf when you produce, um, 
like you said, you have your own process. Like, how would you begin a production or a remix? Do you start with one element, the drums or something? Or what's your, do you have a specific process? I try to keep it super minimal now. So mm-hmm. I, I always start with, you know, a very basic beat and a kick drum. And because even adding in a hi-hat before you do the snare changes the whole thing, the whole sequence. Right. If you shuffle those elements around, uh, if I'm starting with a chord progression first, I'm just reinforcing that with the beat. So I just do block piano chords, just sustained chords. Um, I'll do some leads that if they come to mind. So once I have beat, chord progression, the, I hear the lead, and then I hear the bass line, and then I mute the lead, and then maybe put some filters on it, and then shop it to vocalist and see what stands out. Oh, cool. So I'll play like four or five for a vocalist. That's the traditional way I've done it in the past. Right. But a lot of times I'll be sent top lines, and then I weave around that i build the chord voicings around the vocal and then almost remix that demo right like so going yeah ways. there's so many ways to do it yeah that's so cool but and you know like this week i had a writing session where we you get there and you're starting with nothing i hadn't even played them instrumentals and it's like what do you feel like writing about today you know it's like yeah it's, those are fun They're, those are high pressure situations i was gonna say it sounds like a lot of pressure i mean you have to be kind of zen and confident in your own uh, abilities. Yeah. I think that's where the experience comes in where, you know, a lot of producers that I work with, they're, they're so good at drops and, and the framework and the buildup and the sound design, but they're not used, they've never recorded vocals. They've mm-hmm. never, uh, so it's a different skill set. So I try yeah. to work with people with complementary skill sets that are just better than I am at, at different things. Yeah. I mean, why just work by yourself? It's, right. re- it's really tough to be an island. So I'll bring in people like, Sometimes there's songwriting pairs. One person's the lyricist, one person is the melody person and the singer. Mm-hmm. Um, so the session was fun where I've gotten great results where you throw yourself into the fire and just like, bam, you got to come up with something fast and you yeah. just start with the title. And that's how it worked too. I did it. I was working on a song with uh, Pooh Bear. We did stuff for Bieber. And oh, yeah. He, he has He's a title amazing. list. He just has like a bunch of seeds and he just reads them out. And then at least it narrows it down lyrically where you're going to go. Because... Once the the lyricist is there, they're kind of mumbling things out. Everyone has a very similar process. I've been surprised. Like you mumble it out, these melodies come to you, and you just um, they start to they're very blurry, and then they come into focus. Like what's the theme? What's the word? And then the hard part is like transcribing it to lyrics. Right. Really hard. That's my least favorite part, but <laughs> it's but it's one of the most important parts. Yeah, that's interesting. So I never thought about that that you would say, okay, I want to do a song called Where Have You Been? And then you go off that. Yeah. Like I figured you would do it the opposite way in a way, you know, but that that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, And then you can sort of write about that and then go there. And then, like you said, they can freestyle just the sounds without the lyrics and get the the musical parts down and and then write the lyrics to that. Yeah, because sometimes I'll sing the guide vocal just to get the melody down. Uh I usually will mute it and, and take it out later, but yeah. Because everybody reacts differently. But I'm surprised, though, you know, it's like we were saying earlier, there's only so many chord progressions that are out there. There's only so many chords. Yeah. And they're all relative. Within a key, you know, right. you're going to be playing uh, seven notes max uh, for your hook. Yeah. You know, so it's like there's seven choices for notes. Right. Because you're not using all the notes in the scale. Of course. It's rare. And you're going to pick three or four chords. So you're going to have a lot of overlap with similar songs. For sure. And, and nowadays, with everything being so digital and able to track every little thing and analyze it, yeah. people are going to go, that's mine. Oh, that was mine. I mean, you see it more and more yeah. now. And Shazam will get it wrong, too. You know, Shazam stuff. Oh, Shazam. Like, oh. I know all Shazam stuff. I'm like, oh, I found it. Yes. And then I go home and I'm like, 
that's not it. Right. <laughs> and it finds like the original sample that was in the yeah, breakdown. Yeah, I know, which is kind of cool, yeah. but yeah. not what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Or people are shazamming like bootlegs and, you yeah. know, they're like, I can't find what you're playing. I'm like, it's three songs all put together. Yeah, it's a performance. <laughs> yeah. You can't shazam my performance. Yeah. You can't shazam my, my bootleg. Um, that's, um, yeah, that's super interesting. And like you, the same way you just broke down, you know, your process test is so cool. You do that. You've created something called MP quick tips, right? Mm-hmm. And is that the website? MP quick tips.com. And it's at MP quick tips on Twitter and Instagram. It started with Twitter. It was like short tips. Oh, so it started with the Twitter yeah. feed. I follow it. And yeah. so, um, you just put out every day at least, right? A tip. Yeah, it was like five a day. There's over 800 tips. Okay. So I've done it just over the years. I've pulled them together. And, and the reason I did it was selfishly, I wanted to just not forget them and then use them for myself. Oh, okay. I was like, well, why not share it with people? Yeah. So I think now it's way more, there, there are no secrets. I mean, everything's been pretty well documented on YouTube tutorials. Yeah. You just Google it and you can watch a video on it. Yeah, right? Even your sample packs you have and your secret plugins, like people use things differently. And I was talking to Oliver about this. He was saying, he was worried at first that people would, have his secret weapons, his his best drum sounds, and everyone uses them completely differently. And you, right. you would probably not be able to spot them. You can spot cashmere samples every now and then, mm-hmm. but of course, you just you you build a body of work, you become prolific, and then it doesn't matter. I think it's the guys that are really worried are are. It's easy to be insecure if you're not creating a big body of work. Yeah, creating a lot of samples, and it's like I'm going to hold on to my you know what works. Exactly. But if you're producing and creating and just pumping out content every day, no matter what, then it's, you know, okay, there's more to come. It's yeah. infinite, really. You're not as precious. Yeah, exactly. That's so cool. And so, um, and you, is there physical cards of it too? Or yeah. it's just a, that's what I read. Yeah. So I, I worked with this company, OWC, that makes hard drives, like really cool drives. They, we printed up about 20 cards. I want to do a full deck, like 64 of them. Mm-hmm. But the idea was similar to Brian Eno oblique strategy cards. Yeah. You, you, sometimes you see Calvin Harris using those. Yeah, I love it. And then also, just recently, Rick Rubin seems to be doing that with his Instagram posts. Like, he posts it and then takes it down. Yeah, he posts one seriously. really, usually amazing quote and deletes yeah. it, right? My guess is he has a book coming. He's been a lot more open lately. I feel like with Shangri-La, that documentary. That was so great to watch, yeah. Shangri-La, on Showtime. very mysterious for so long. I he know. share anything. I know. So I think it's so good because I think now is the time to share knowledge. Totally. Because, you know, people come and go and all that knowledge just evaporates. It's really it, sad. I know. It really does. Yeah. So it's nice to be able to and nowadays, everything evaporates in a way because the internet's moving so fast. So yeah. it would be, yeah, I mean, he won't be here forever, so it'd be amazing if he could put out a book. Um, just watching that show, so much insight and yeah. amazing things. And it'll you know, save you some with. creative suffering. That's that's the way I look at it. Like, there's things I wanted to. There's so many things in a mix down, and when I'm finishing a song, yeah, like a checklist I have in my mind, and I'm like, all right, I think is the side chain right? Is uh, is there clipping? Are there, you know, there's technical things, and yeah. then there's philosophical things. Like, am I using? Am I getting the most emotion out of the voltage in the track? Like, yeah, are the meters moving a ton and not really saying anything? So yeah, I just I wanted to write down all these little quick ideas so I would improve my productions, and then why not share that with everybody? Yeah, so, that's great. And the cards are cool because you're not distracted by your phone. It's not an app, right. so you can you can shuffle them, you can randomize it, you can focus on three cards in one session. And I saw that Brian Eno's cards were great, but they were very abstract and very yes. um, very minimal. And there was the yeah. graphics. So I was like, I want to make some 
clean vector illustrations. That's so cool. Yeah, just so it's actionable. You know? And you do YouTube videos as well? Mm-hmm. Does take a lot more time and work. Right. I feel like the quick tips, I just have been, for eight years, I've been writing these down and I put yeah. them in a spreadsheet and I randomize that, post it to Twitter. That's great. Why not? It was actually Carl, one of the old artist reps at Pioneer, like urged me to do it. He's like, why don't you just post these? And there's blog posts, so there's deep dives. Oh, great. So people can get granular. more into it. Because one thing to get the thing, the the quote, but it might spark something for someone, but they won't fully understand what you mean. Yeah, you know? need a deep dive. And the funny thing to me is the different tips work well for different people. It's almost like a pile of keys and you don't know which door they're going to lead to. So, yeah. so some people will say, oh, the color coding, you know, every element in your studio, that tip changed my life. And for somebody else, it's more of a... Uh, technical tip or more philosophical. Yeah. But if you color code, that will help a lot. That is a big deal. What do you mean? What, what is that like tip? Even color code your power cables when you're labeling stuff, have a, a legend, like create a, a hierarchy so you know what corresponds to what. So you're not chasing cable loops everywhere. Interesting. I mean, even in my sessions, I have a very specific color coding structure for like the bass is always. Uh, vocals are always red, bass is always like brown, uh, chords are always purple. And just so I can eyeball stuff and you mean it. just in Ableton or Logic Ableton, or Pro yeah. Tools? Or, oh, yeah. Yeah. that's oh, that's smart. And I do it pretty early on. Like I try not to get caught up in the, the plumbing of the session too early, but mm-hmm. but it saves you time later. Where yeah, you don't want every track a different color, and it saves you brain power and workflow time, right? Oh, that could take away from your creative process. Yeah, even I mean, even color coding your drives. You know, if you're on the road, you're touring. I use color coding for the drops versus the breakdowns. Breakdowns are always blue. Drops are always red. Buildups oh. are orange. I have it like that in record box. And that's for your cue points. Yeah. Cue points and hot cues. Uh, that's been a game changer. Like it's really? so simple, but oh, I'm amazed how many guys don't use that. Right. That's that's so cool. So so let's get into that. Like with we've spoken on, we had a couple episodes with um, DJ XL and Dynamics and um, Cut Corners from Serato where we were breaking down music organization in Serato. But um and, and they gave us their tips and same thing. Some things work for people and some things are like, I can't do that, you know. But for your DJing, that's that's an interesting tip. Uh, have the hot cues labeled by color always. Your drops will be one thing, the verse or, you know, the intro. Um, and do you DJ off record box? Mm-hmm. And or do you DJ off the sticks in Rekordbox or the computer? Off the sticks. And okay. the reason I also created that system was I was playing Burning Man once, first time ever. Yeah. And dust gets in everything. But a lot of DJs don't use the hot cues. So uh-huh. thankfully I prepared. So the, the play button and the cue button were both broken on both CDJs. <laughs> so you go up there, you're like, what the fuck am I going to do? Yeah. So I DJed the whole time with the hot cues. And so how do you get it to start? <laughs> you just hit the hot cue. You just start it off the hot cue. Oh, Boom. okay. Yeah, live. Especially, yeah, if it's in sync mode and it's on quantized mode, just start with the hot cues. Right. That's your play button. Wow. That's Save crazy. my set. That's great. Do you have any other tips, like, from your DJing, um, you know, for, that, that could help people out with your DJ sets? I mean, I know it's more record box-based, but... I mean, this one's kind of obvious, but mixed in key, I use that for batch scanning everything. And now they yep. have a feature where you can right click and open with mixed in key. So instead of having to drag it in over to that window, just say right click, open with mixed in key. So I color oh. code everything also, if I can, to the key, to the Camelot key that it's in. So you mean you'll color code it like 
these all of these files are red if they're 2A yeah, or whatever it, you want it. Like yeah. that. Or When I was DJing with Ableton in the past, before Rekordbox, I would color code all the clips by key as closest okay. as I could get them to what the wheel color was, the yeah. Camelot color was. Got it. Uh, but, I mean, I think just being able to think quickly, like out of the corner of your eye, being able to gauge things, what color they are, what position they are in the track, that's those are the most helpful. Right. But mixing key and... And just learning to be flexible with that. I mean, it's easy to get painted into a corner thinking like, oh, I'm in 3A, I got to go to 4A or 2A. Yeah. But um, that's always been really useful for mashups as well. So I'll even right. color code the mashup like that in Ableton. I'll make sure I'll, I'll find, I'll audition those tracks. But keeping just good file naming systems yeah. too, just making sure that those files have it in there and you clear out all the junk, obviously the long names, like take out extended mix and yeah. uh, just keeping good metadata. Right, as boring as that is, it's no, useful. but you, it's it's all it all comes back to the color coding the wire in your studio type thing where you just want to save yourself the brain power and create your workflow to be conducive to creativity, right? Yeah. Like, I just want to be creative, and, and people staring at you and being up on a stage gives you a different pressure, you know, where you can't anticipate that when you're preparing and practicing. Yeah, so that's so cool. That's that's really interesting. Um, and for your DJing, were you a DJ before you were a producer? I started with production when I was 12. I started really early. Wow. And, I mean, it was so expensive to get gear. To do so so yeah. I started with computers first, even though they were super underpowered. Like I used tracker programs. Mm-hmm. Tracker. I think that's how Dead Mouse got started. But then uh, gradually I built you know, real studio with samplers and MIDI gear. And I remember seeing like Armand Van Helden was, he was a big influence and just yeah. seeing the, the time stretching he was doing with these Akai samplers and being like, well, what the hell is that? And like, what's TJ Sneak doing with the Emu sampler, the E6400? So I saved up my money for an MPC. I bought uh, an Emu sampler eventually and got a Nord lead. So it was like step-by-step building this tiny little studio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I did that first and then got into radio. But I found, a, I found electronic music through college radio. Oh, okay. So I lived out in the country in Vermont, and the airwaves just crept out to the country, out to the farms, and I heard um, heard people playing electronic music. I sent cassettes in. What was some of the stuff you heard? Man. Do I think remember? early stuff was like, like Time Writer, Terry Lee Brown Jr., like early Tech House stuff. Right. Um, and that was a really like super deep underground phase. Yeah. And that was be- even... Maybe before all the the electronica stuff like Crystal Method and Prodigy, mm-hmm. but that was that was played a lot in the station too. Yeah. But I started hearing dead air, guys not showing up for their slots. So I went started to go in and sub for guys. And what station was this? This is uh, WRUV at University of Vermont. Oh, okay. So you didn't have to be a student. Whoa, really? So I was like, oh, wow. And everyone else was much older. Like you have these. It's kind of like a KCRW out there. Yeah. And people really hang on to their slots, but. Some guys were kind of over their radio slots and I'd drive, I'd hear dead air after I got approved and I did graveyard slots. I would drive in when I'd hear dead air and just fill in on Saturday nights. Oh, that's amazing. Everyone else was partying. I would just go in DJ. That's great. Yeah. Why not? But that's usually when somebody loses the hunger, there's this opportunity. If you're more hungry, you go in and. Oh, exactly. We've talked about that on other episodes. Like just being there is huge you know what yeah, i mean just up. being available just showing up doing the work being ready to go at any time you never know what's going to happen and being hungry yourself to be able to go take that spot who's going to drive who's going to listen for dead air and then drive to a radio station yeah. not many people you know it's like the saddest thing ever dead air. <laughs> i mean 
And you're like, the, I'm gonna. Fi- you're like Superman of the yeah. radio. You're like, I will fix this yeah. now. Here yeah. I come. <laughs> and you're thinking like, hopefully no one else is driving in for the yeah. same slot. What? Yeah, people are gonna hear that now and do it. You're gonna be all racing there, yeah. like looking on like ways, like, oh, they're coming. I'm gonna get there. Yeah. That's crazy. That's so cool. And then from there, you graduated on to one of the biggest um, college radio stations yeah. in America, right? Yeah. At Emerson. At Emerson, W-E-R-S. And I started, I built their website and then did all these things to kind of work my way in. And eventually, I remember auditioning and getting rejected, didn't get a show. And I was like, but I did college radio. Like, how can I not get in? And then yeah. eventually, you know, managed the station. And JCO was there at the time. Right, I talked to him earlier. Shout to JCO. So JCO was at Emerson doing the hip-hop side of the station. And then what did you end up doing there? I remember we had hip-hop guys would come in and just, like, tear the the monitor. They just wrecked the monitors. And Gangstar (laughs) came in once, and they were like, I think it was Guru, like, he, he was biting off bottle caps with his teeth, like, just (laughs) beer everywhere in the studio. So you're not supposed to have anything, obviously, college campus. Right. but man, it was like like a heyday of hip hop back then, a whole different phase. Oh my God, I remember. I mean, I was doing college radio at like a tiny station in close to the Bay Area, and Emerson was like legendary. I mean, I got to oh, go nice. there and see it, you know. And plus, one of my goals of doing college radio was just to be able to get records for free because I just started DJing and I don't, I didn't have that much money. So I'm like, okay, they send you the record. This is amazing, and yeah. I get to promote it to people and practice my DJing on. So, and then I, I saw Emerson would have everybody, you know, the real deal artists. And like you said, it was the heyday. I mean, it's the mid nineties to 2000 of hip hop. Yeah. So Gangstar, Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul. I so mean, I think it's funny that JCO like did tracks with Redman. Now he's like doing now, it. Yeah. I know. It's insane. That's why it's so mind blowing to me. Like when he was like, yeah, I met Redman. Now we have a group, 1000 volts. I'm like, that's, it's, it's like serendipity. It all comes yeah. back together. Right. Yeah. Well, it was weird too. I remember at the time, uh, Xmix management company was, I lived right near there and they managed, uh, I think it was like sneak and Van Helden and every, uh-huh. all these, like the greats at the time. Yeah. And I had no idea. I was like living in Leechmere and, but Boston was a great city for that. They had a good scene. Yeah. Uh, a lot of good local DJs, very territorial. It was very hard to get a residency at right. these like Irish pubs and places. Yeah. But Emerson Station faced Tremont Street, so you could look out and see, like, homeless people would press themselves against the glass, and you'd have, you'd have an audience because they'd play the music to the speakers on the street. Oh, that's great. Actually, yeah. I remember when I went there, I saw that, because there was that big glass thing, and you looked out onto, it was like a yeah. really busy area, and they'd be playing the the radio show yeah. out of... Some Boston Commons. So cool. So, I mean, it's yeah, it's serious real estate, and it's a multi-million dollar radio station, so yeah. that's their trophy piece they show in the tours. So I saw that on the tour and I was like done. I got yeah. this. That's amazing. Yeah. And did that lead to um D- like you said it was hard to get DJ gigs, but did that lead to DJ gigs eventually or was DJing like um an interest of yours or was it just production and then DJing was a way to sort of play the music for people? I always idolized DJs. I didn't think it was like a viable career ever. Right. And I remember buying like the Moonshine mix CDs. Me too. Kiyuki yeah. and all yep. those guys and being like, wow, there are airplanes going everywhere. This is insane. Yeah. I had no idea. I it didn't, it wasn't a, a viable thing. So I just was making music in my dorm room, making it in triples, literally with headphones on late at night. Yeah. Sending demo, you know, really terrible demos out to record labels. Right. Like Yoshitoshi and uh, Josh Wink's label, Ovum. And it's funny because when I talk to those guys now, I'm like, I'm like, sorry, I sent you such terrible music. Like <laughs> some sent rejection letters and some 
just the worst thing is to to not hear anything. Right. But uh, you know, there's time and a place for it. You need time to develop your sound. Yeah. The worst thing would be to not have done anything. You know, right. you did it. I mean, yeah. you were you have to keep pushing through. I did a million horrible radio show mixes too. You know, and yeah. I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a drum and bass show. I'm doing a hip hop show. I'm doing mixing them together, and you know, you figure out what works and. Yeah. Of course, I listen back like, whoa, what was that? But <laughs> In um, your mind, you think it sounds like something else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Completely. I know. And so that has led to a radio show that you've been doing for almost 10 years now yeah. on Sirius XM um, called In the Air. And you just hit, you're over 500 episodes now, yeah. right? Which is incredible. Um, and that, did that start, that started as a podcast, right? Right. And podcast first. And it was like a couple of years. And then SiriusXM approached me and they're like, you know, would you be down to do a show? Yeah. Uh, and it's awesome. You know, it, it survived the uh, the bloodbath that happened when Diplo's channel cha- uh, took over Electric Area. Oh, I didn't even think about they that. cut a ton of shows. You know, it has to keep evolving and stay fresh. Oh, so. you're right. They t- I didn't, I listened to the Diplo channel. Yeah. And I've always been on BPM, but, but so I'm on 51, but the Diplo one. 52. Yeah. But it changed overnight. It's like people showed up to work and it was like, we're closed. Oh, you're right. Cause it was electric area, but then it was starting to be similar to BPM, but then a little more big room electro-y and then they just were like, boom, Diplo. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The higher ups. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. You're out. Diplo's in. Yeah. Um, How many places has that happened in the world? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where Diplo's taken over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's, that's crazy. But so, wow. So over 500, do you, over 500 episodes. Do you still enjoy doing it? Yeah. And yeah, it's every that. week. Because it's a discipline. I feel like you got to flex that muscle every week of listening to what's the best. And I have a producer who helps me with it, obviously, and mm-hmm. helps filter music. But, you know, I do the, the voiceovers and I'm picking the music and the whole direction for the show. That's a, that's so cool. And that's so cool that it all started from you driving in from a dead air in Vermont, yeah. you know, shift where you're like, I'm doing this. And then now you're doing this huge show that's yeah. been going for, you know, what it's been going for almost 10 years, yeah, right? 10 years. You never know where something's going to lead. And even the radio you station really in Vermont led to doing internships in New York in the summer, like for record labels. So right. that's, that's actually how I got my first deal was I would, I would go intern for labels in New York and Manhattan and, and slip my demo tape in. I had like yeah. a mini disc demo. That's cool. And you get your first vinyl release. And I think it's good to just, if people focus on, you know, like that next step, mm-hmm. like not, don't think about like the end thing of making a ton of money, making millions of dollars, doing right. dance music, like go step by step with the process. It's so true. I think everyone wants to skip the steps nowadays and everyone having access to everyone else's story or the process of what you're supposed to do gives them this feeling of like, okay, I want to be, have my deal in New York. I'm watching it on, but you have to do all the steps. You know what I mean? You don't, the, the radio station in Vermont is going to lead to the other stuff. You can't skip it, you know? And I'm sure some people have skipped things and it's been fine, but you, you have to put in the work. I think you're not going to and each path is unique. I think the biggest yes. mistake, and I still make this sometimes, you look at other people and you, you think you just see a trajectory, you see this arc in someone's career, yep. and the path they've taken, and they've actually, that path might not work for you. Yeah. A lot of times it won't work for you, which is crazy. I mean, if you if you try to copy Chainsmokers model, that worked well because at the time, Hype Machine was like this perfect little launching pad for, yep. for, for remixers. You're right. And they, were, they built this huge body of work, this volume of work, Hype Machine got a ton of number ones, and mm-hmm. that was the right place at the right time. So that yeah. path clicked. 
Yeah, you're right. Uh, but they're also just incredibly hardworking guys and yeah. have a lot of talent. But, and they made the selfie song that was sort of no one knew if it was a joke or not. And then that helped them get the viral thing, which then leads to the next thing. Then they make decisions to cover indie, not cover, but like remix those indie songs and then do a pop slow down. It's like yeah. all the process. It's the same thing when I meet up and coming DJs or I talk to people through this podcast. Oh, what what should we do? Or what what advice do you give? I'm like, do what you're doing, you know, and learn, yeah. f- go through your experiences, have good and bad experiences because everyone's path is going to be completely different. You're never going to be able to replicate it. Yeah. I do like when it's organic. Like I'm doing a track with this brand new producer in South Korea and he won a remix contest with Layback Luke. So that got sent to my show. And I said, it's rare when I get a demo and I go, whoa, 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 whoa. who's this? Like it's like a couple of times a year. Yeah. And I'm like, is this a rip of something? And it's genuinely a new talent. I remember hearing about Afrojack and being like, who did this track? That cool track. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. And so when something catches your ear and it bubbles up in that organic way, and now I'm working on a song with this kid and he's super talented. That's amazing. Yeah. That's so cool. Um, and you were, um, we started talking about it before. You're very into, I know, tech stuff and environmental stuff. Um, which there's a company that sort of is in both those spaces, Tesla. Tesla. Um, And you've done music for Tesla and SpaceX, right? Um, Right. Some of the projects. And you're very, I assume, tell me if I'm wrong, you drive a Tesla? Yeah. Okay. Um, So what what got you into that? Have you always just been very into tech stuff and environmental stuff? I've always been into the tech. I mean, that's always been the the marriage of music and technology is what's been exciting. I mean, since I first found out you could computer could talk to a musical instrument like when hearing about midi for the first time in your life blows your mind oh my god i remember right? it yeah i You're remember like, this is impossible i heard yeah. it in, in uh, like eighth grade i think me too and i was my mind was blown and just seeing i could draw it out and do the keyboards and then getting my first akai sampler and learning that i mean it's mind-blowing yeah. You're right so i love that you know and it, it's very easy to go down the rabbit hole and get gear lust and get stuck in the gear but i think it's all about how that the technology enhances your vision and makes the workflow process better. Yeah. Um, but with Tesla, it was funny. I, my dad was telling me about the cars early on and I remember right. seeing a, a documentary about Elon and being like, I got to meet this guy someday. <laughs> and sure enough, like I met him charging the car once. No and, way. And I'd actually, I met him and Franz, uh, the designer I was near as a Hawthorne at the SpaceX headquarters and Tesla design center. And I met him there. He heard one of my songs on Sirius XM and he happens to be an EDM guy. Right. He loves electronic music. As you know, now he's yeah. released a couple songs. Oh, yeah, I've heard it. Which I guess Blood Pop was involved in one of them. But um, <laughs> I believe uh, <laughs> it. Uh, well, but, Grimes, all yeah, the Grimes, connections, yeah. yes. Uh, but I've gotten to know the whole family. They're really cool. Like I gradually just started to know all these Tesla people because they were fans of the music. Yeah. So That's... the first person I called to when I was going to reserve the Model S eight years ago was a fan. So I have number 1000, the Model S. Wow. And it wasn't about like, oh, let's, let me get a fancy car. Cause I've always had shitty cars. Yeah. But I saw this car and I was like, this, like, this is insane. I know. Like nobody had, it. I remember driving around LA, people would be like, roll your window down. Like, what is that? A Jaguar? Like, what is this? Yeah. And now it's, you know, it's as ubiquitous as a Honda Oh, they're Civic, everywhere. But. I know. I think I'm about to get one of those Model 3s. I was trying to decide uh, if I get the long range or not. You know, like, yes. what do you think? The answer is yes. The answer is yeah, yes? I think so. If it's you worth the extra. Trips, they yeah. bundle it all together. You got, if you want the premium interior and the sound system, and the, then you're like, you got to get all-wheel drive and long range. But there, there's 
just great cars. Yeah. I've had mine for eight years. So like it had yeah. problems in the beginning. And then if you, you know, you're an early adopter, you run into those issues, but the, the Y looks amazing. I was up at the oh, headquarters so, last yeah. week and the Y looks fucking amazing. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. I, I looked online, but I don't know much about it. That's so cool. Yeah. It looks better in person than online. It looks a little like a Porsche Cayenne, but, oh, wow. but you've got a lot more interior space. So right. That's what I love. Like I, I don't want to be breathing car exhaust. Like I'm not, you know, know. a save the whales environmentalist, but right. Electric car, just come on. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you can feel the tide changing here in LA. Maybe it's not yep. happening as fast in the East coast. But um, but right. I love what they're doing. I gave them a bunch of music to use for their demos, and so cool. Um, it's funny. I was scoring, I was scoring this thing for SpaceX for the Falcon Heavy, and we had to use the David Bowie for it. Oh so yeah. So I was like, all right, what well, David Bowie? I think this this one works. <laughs> that was right. Elon's preference, but yeah. But it's a fun to. It's really fun to flex that different muscle. I don't really score projects. Yeah. Um, I've done some pop stuff, but it's more about like it's fun to just do something that's not confined to a four four framework. Right. And to work with a company that you truly believe in and are are associated with yeah. in a way. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome people. And I've, you know, I DJ for Elon a couple of times and so cool. the guys that his cousins that did solar city. Oh yeah. Uh, but it's, I remember when I, I put the solar panels in my studio, oh, people, I was going to ask people were like, what is that? Like, that's great. I, it's so boring and standard to me now. I don't think about it. Yeah. But, why would you not put that on your roof? Like it's just baking your roof. Those I know. Do you have summers. the actual whole roof panels or just those? Because don't they have a new thing coming out where they replace your mm-hmm. whole roof? That would be nice. Yeah, <laughs> that's a big. I think if you're doing a new construction, it's a good right. Idea. I was gonna say I it's don't even expensive. know if that's out yet. I have the old school ones. Uh, I don't have the power walls, but I want those. Like when there's an earthquake or yeah, the power is weird in LA. Like I had to buy stuff for my studio because there's. Weird surges and spikes. Mm-hmm. Most laptop guys don't under, don't see it because they're not losing their their desktop isn't going offline. But yeah. you've got to have battery backup here. If right. you're living hillside, yeah. if you're at the end of the line, yeah, like you're all right. kinds of shit happens. And I've fried monitors, like oh, weird wow. surges. Right. So you get that power wall, then you can just have your own, offset the bills. You know it happens enough. Yeah. If it happens a couple times a year, it's enough. It's probably worth it. But yeah. Uh, it's a little pricey. I know people were worried, like, what if I get an electric car and then there's a power outage for like a week and then I can't charge it? I'm like, when has that ever happened? Like that right. you can remember, you know what I mean? Yeah. You're p- trying to plan. That's you're basically like planning for the end of the world at that point. Right. <laughs> like and it's better than a gas shortage. I mean, that's exactly e- anything could happen. Yeah. You've seen those videos of the cars lined up forever. You know, yeah. who knows what's going to happen? That's more likely to run out than I remember driving to Vegas when I was doing my win residency. Yeah. They, the valets had no idea what electric car charging was. Right. And they plugged it into the wall outlet. And I was like, I can't get home. Like, yeah. You're like, that gives me three like, miles for like an hour hours to charge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I uh, convinced the wind to put in electric chargers. Oh, wow. <laughs> Genius. Thank you. <laughs> That's so cool. And then now they have those superchargers everywhere and all that stuff. Yeah. Now it's so ubiquitous. And then you just got to get them to integrate Ableton into the right. Tesla. Well, they have the they have the regular DAW now. You can make beats in the car. You can? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I have to get this car. It's like, get it. oh, my God. I'm getting it for my wife is the thing. So I'm like, I'm going to want it. <laughs> I'm going <Yeah. laughs> to end up having to get two of them. But that's crazy. That's so cool. Um, do you have any... Um, Anything's coming out. Well, you talked about your residency. You have a Vegas residency, yeah. don't you? I'm it's at Daylight? At, yeah, Daylight. This okay. Year. I think it's the third or fourth year, so I'm back there. Great. Um, 
And do you have any other residencies that you do? Just the Vegas one and yeah. then uh, and then just touring North America like I usually do. Right. That's so cool. And you do um, – you had like a crazy 3D virtual reality type of show that you put together a while yeah. ago, right? Yeah. I wish we could still do it. It's so expensive to do. Right. And to bring the – to hang those panels at every show. And, yeah. But I think it's exciting now what's happening with uh, like the Pyramid One thing that the Cirque du Soleil founder, Guy, is doing. It looks so cool. That's cool. And then the Sphere, the MSG Sphere. Right, in I Vegas. Teppenberg's. That's coming, on. right? It's coming. I hope it, I hope it really happens. I mean, it's a, it's a big project. Right. It's Madison Square Garden Sphere. Yeah. It's 11 times the size of an IMAX theater. It's infrasonic floors, beamforming audio, like, like weatherproof. Oh my God. But why not? You know, I amazing. just hope it gets, it's just a lot of, a lot of money. Right. And who knows in Vegas, things go up and down. And yeah. now with, with all the economy and coronavirus and all that stuff, I was going to ask, are you adjusting your touring or anything because of coronavirus or is that affecting you at all or not it yet? It seemed to flow naturally. Like I've, you know, I usually do uh, Asia tour in the winter. We didn't do one this year. And it's just yeah. kind of like, oh, all right. Yeah. No problem. All right. We'll just keep going. And, right. uh, you know, you always have your strong markets. And Yeah. Uh, but it's been good. I've been, uh, I've just been, it's been a good time to hunker down in the studio and get stuff done. And For sure. Just keep moving. But, but yeah, it hasn't changed. I don't know. It's a little scary if you were doing those cross Atlantic flights. Like I know. I don't know, do you wear a mask? What do you do? I don't know. It's just it's. I feel like it's cha- every day. There's new things to learn. You know, yeah. so I don't know. Maybe I think we're, we're all have to use VR to, cl- to collaborate, and well, that's, right. that's what's part of the fun. All these collaborations I'm doing, like all over the world, I'm, they're all remote right now. That's cool. With the at least with the club stuff, with the yeah. vocalist stuff, everyone's in LA anyways. So yeah, just like drive over. Right, but do you collab sort of through what using um, cloud pro? program just just the ableton sessions right and then what you just send them a link like here's what i've done yeah collect all and save yeah i think before i was too scared to do the um what was it not dropbox oh uh splice when splice was more of a collaboration tool oh right that's more of a sample focus i guess it still does both right but i think they i think they wanted it to be the collaboration thing then realized wait a second we're gonna make way more money doing these sample packs i was just it's too scary to trust that reverting back to an old version and I know. So I just do, I think the best practice now is always be bouncing stems of your projects. Even if oh, you're yeah. working in the same DAW, if you can ha- be using the stems to future-proof your sessions because those plugins are going to break and companies yep. got a business. Yeah, and the per- other person in South Korea or something might not be hearing it correctly the way you did it, you know, right? right. Like if it's not translating the, the whatever it is, automation or MIDI or yeah, something correctly or the plugins yeah. one version off. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. And so do you have some stuff coming out that you can talk about or is there a place that people can keep updated like your website yeah, or something? Yeah, I guess it's the first time I've talked about it, but I have a new collaboration with Sick Individuals coming out on oh, Armada. Wow. So I'm signed exclusively to Armada. Okay. Um, those guys are awesome. They're like engineering wizards, producer wizards. Uh, so tons of new stuff coming. And the vocalist is Asia Whiteacre. She did Starving. Oh, great. Gray and Zed. Nice. That's so, huge. It's going to be a great track. It's got some country elements in it. It's going to be really interesting. Ah, all right. Um, yeah, working on some pop stuff too, but but mainly stuff within that that dance music lane. Yeah. Uh, but that's the next release. And some, some club bangers. I have a track with Mellow Kids, this Polish duo. They're doing incredible stuff. I think Fetty Legrand discovered them, and they're just incredible producers. Great. 
Cool. Can't wait to hear it. Um, and so people can find you um, online more at Morgan Page and also at MP Quick Tips uh, is the quick tips thing. And then your website's just morganpage.com. Yeah, morganpagecom morganpagecom original one from me. I know. Someone else, djspider.com. It's like a bank or something. Yeah, I'm like, yo, what you, just give it over back to me, please. <laughs> is there like a, an agency that just does domain reclaiming? I don't know. Be. I would pay them if they could get me that and get me the Twitter. There's some guy that hasn't used DJ Spider on Twitter forever. And that should I'm be like, the rule yo. if it's inactive. If you're squatting. Right? Like, yeah, you should like, be Come on. To. I'm tweeting every day out here. <laughs> <laughs> there's only one DJ Spider. Come on. Yeah. Well, there's probably like 47 of them on the internet, but (laughs) one of the guys was using my logo. Another guy uses my old logo. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Keep up with my logo. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You used to use my new logo, okay? And my new haircut. (laughs) That's how you scale your business. You just have 40 different account versions of yourself. (laughs) And you see which one hits. And you're you're like- reading the brand Bible. You're keeping up the tone consistent. (laughs) That's so funny. Amazing. Well, Morgan Page, thank you for coming on the 20 podcast. Um, We really appreciate it. Um, And uh, we can't wait to hear all the new music. And I mean, you've taught us about so much tech stuff. You crammed a lot in. Oh my God, we really did. I I want there was like so much more I want to talk about. Just that Pandora podcast thing was mind blowing too. It's unbelievable. Well, thank you for coming on, and um, hopefully we'll talk to you soon. The 20 Podcast is produced by BeatSource. Join us next week for more interviews as we discuss music that matters to DJs. We will see you next time. I'm DJ Spider. Morgan Page, thank you. Peace out.